Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Hi, Christy. How are you? I am fabulous. How are you? I'm pretty good. Getting ready for a little Thanksgiving celebration. What are you doing to celebrate? <laughs> really nothing <laughs> exciting. Like, do we need to Zoom our Thanksgiving dinners together? I, well, so this is what's funny. I'm ha- just spending it with my parents. My brother and sister-in-law and niece live out in uh, Tacoma, Washington. And so the last several years we've spent it together. Like we've gone up to the mountains and gotten a cabin or something like that. So this year I was like, it's just me and my parents. We're going to order a meal. And I was like, there are all these great restaurants in Atlanta. Let's support like some of the great local restaurants. And so I sent my dad like just tons and tons and tons of options. And I get a call last week. What sides do you want from Cracker Barrel? No. (laughs) No, we're having Cracker Barrel for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and my dad has like been on this big weight loss kick. So he's lost probably 35 pounds since COVID hit. Like he looks really good. So he's really, really cautious about what he eats. And I think this might be the day he's throwing everything. He's know. like, hell yeah, Cracker Barrel, set it up. <laughs> I know. So he's like, so he's like, we're going to get sweet potato casserole for sure. Do you want mashed potatoes or squash casserole? I was like, well, how about a vegetable, <laughs> like a green vegetable? something that's green he's like oh no I can make green beans <laughs> oh my gosh I love it that's hilarious that's something I would totally do well not Cracker Barrel but like go all in on yeah, on, yeah. listen we had Cracker Barrel last year actually because we had rented a cabin up in the Gatlinburg area and it was just really mm-hmm. easy to pick up and it's, sure. it's actually really good like it's a really good Thanksgiving meal but I'm just like I'm in Atlanta. Like there are these amazing places, yeah. there are these amazing meals and let's support local, but we're having Rats. a girl. So what are <laughs> you doing? Um, it's all blowing up as we speak. Like Lyon County Emporia is so bad with COVID right now. Um, we kind of thought about 
everybody being super, super, super careful leading up to Thanksgiving. And then my mom and dad called and they're like, yeah, no, we're just uncomfortable. So, um, and then Mason called uh, the other day and was like, my coworker has COVID and although he's had it, he's not, he's thinking he's uncomfortable. So I think it's just going to be um, super, I mean, it's going to be uh, Tim and Sydney and I, and if the weather's nice, we've talked about going over to my brother's and having pumpkin pie around a campfire oh, outside. Nice. So, but it's, you know, I, I've been seeing like all of these memes and stuff about, you know, military families saying, watching all the rest of us talk about having to spend Thanksgiving alone. And I'm like, you know, it's totally true. Like, well, this isn't the worst of, this isn't the worst thing. So, um, you know, I'm sure I'll spend some time calling friends and saying hello to people and, and, you know, trying to reach out that way, but in person, not much. So trying to yeah. decide if I want to cook a turkey. Yeah. It's not that different because we don't have like a huge extended family. My grandparents, mm -hmm. my mom is German. So her whole family is in Germany and they don't have American Thanksgiving. And then my dad's family is all, he was an only child. So we, we don't normally, and my brother is military. So he definitely has been gone for some yeah. holidays. So yeah. Yeah. I, the, the military probably are like, come on guys, suck it up. <laughs> it's just, yeah. <laughs> yep. I get it. It's just, it's just so 2020, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, I almost ordered a little cross stitch the other day that said it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, we kind of, I think everybody mentally knew that it was going to probably get bad mm -hmm. again, but we all maybe like we're hoping it wouldn't. <laughs> Yeah, I it agree. has. So it's just what it is. It is what it is. It is what so. it is. But we do have some something fun too, not just laments over <laughs> Thanksgiving. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> we were named by Triathlete Magazine oh. as they combined us as one of the movers and shakers of 2020, endurance movers yeah. and shakers. So which are you, the mover or the shaker? Oh, definitely the shaker. Okay. I'll be the mover. You can be the shaker. So <laughs> did you notice that they had our ages backwards? Oh, no. Am I listed as 51 <laughs> and you're listed? Oh, you, you went backwards. That's hilarious. I'm so, I was so stoked. My husband was like, you're 45. <laughs> well, I did yeah. not know that. That's funny. I'm surprised that nobody, that none of my friends that have emailed me have been like, I didn't know you were that old. Yeah. Thanks. That old, <laughs> but speaking of movers and shakers. Yeah. So yeah. this week's podcast guest is also on the list. Uh, the Vanessa Forster. Vanessa Forster. Yes. <laughs> we, I kept wanting to call her Forster, which she does have a Forster as a car. She did tell us before yes. we started recording. That's it is Forster. And she started actually a diversity and triathlon movement, but we talked to her because what she does, she's a mental endurance coach. Yes. That was what was, I mean, both things super intrigued me, but, but the mental endurance coach stuff is pretty, is pretty cool. So. Yeah. So, and she had just gotten a gravel bike right before it started snowing in Montana. So I think we might've talked her into doing a couple of races. Uh, yeah. She said she signed up for the last best ride. So yeah. 
Jess Sarah was on a few weeks ago and that's her new event and uh, Vanessa's going to be there. So. Great. The yeah. pictures look so amazing. Yep. So, so we're going to talk to another mover. She's a mover and a shaker. <laughs> yes. um, Mentally and physically. Yeah. This interview was really fun. Cause she's just like, almost. she almost took over the podcast too. She was just like right all. on. So, uh, so we're going to go ahead to our interview with Vanessa Forster. Hey, Catherine, I'm so excited that Gooders come on as one of our sponsors. I know we love Gooder sunglasses because they come in so many fun colors and sassy fun names. Like I got Lance's afternoon uppers. And I got Rose before Brose. <laughs> <laughs> they're really fun. And they're also performance sunglasses. So they're no slip, no bounce and polarized. They start at a ridiculously low price of $25 a pair. <laughs> Which means that Gooder is generously offering our listeners nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. You do not need a discount when you already have the most affordable performance shades on the planet. So go to gooder.com slash feisty and that's G-O-O-D-R dot com slash feisty now. These glasses even look good with mud on them. They do. <laughs> Christy, you know we have a new podcast sponsor? Did you get your gear yet? I did. I was so excited. Belcorva showed up the other day and I um I'm in love. <laughs> I think I have my new very favorite shorts, both for working out, walking my dog, and like posts a long ride. Yeah, totally. That well, and I got that green. Did you get the green? You didn't get the green. I, I got, got the green. I got like an eggplant color. They're fantastic. Oh, I'm sorry, my green ones are better than your eggplant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really love the fun colors and all the fun patterns. I got really fun pants as well, and I love. This is my favorite thing. They have a pocket. And I know. Every pair of pants. So, like after a ride, slide them on. Put my cell phone in the pocket. It's amazing. Yep, they work perfect, and they're they are the the shorts are the right length. My three quarter length tights, they're obviously they're an awesome length, but they're super fun. I got the black and white stripe, and they're they're really cute. So I'm so stoked, and the quality is uh, yeah, I was stoked. And they're incredibly affordable. I know. We yep. are very excited to have Belcorva as a new sponsor to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. You can go over to belcorva.com to pick up your fun new tights or shorts. Get the green ones. Well, welcome to another week of the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. We are so excited to be here. I'm here with Christy. Hey, Christy. Hello. And we have from Montana with us today, Vanessa Forster. Did I say it right, Vanessa? You did. Absolutely. You got it. You, got you it nailed right. it, Catherine. Good job. I was trying to like say it in a Georgia Southern accent, even though you were telling me it was German. Forster. Perfect. Forster. Add, add the Georgia anywhere you want. <laughs> well, because you went to UGA, right? I did. Yeah. Graduate of 2008. I actually did my undergrad and my master's at uh, UGA. Loved what are, Athens. What are your, your degrees in? Um, <laughs> international business and accounting. And then I have a master's in accounting, but don't tell anyone. I actually retired after like an, a year and a half. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm a retired CPA after a year and a half. <laughs> That's hilarious because Haley Chura, who's the host of the Iron Women podcast, coaches you, right? And she's also yes. a retired CPA. <laughs> she is. And she actually went to UGA and we were in the same program at the same time and didn't know each other. What? What are the odds of that? Yeah. Yeah. Is it a big like program? To joke about it. It's, it's pretty big. It's a well-known, it's a really good program, Masters of Accountancy. Um, but I mean, her coming from Montana to go to Georgia and swim there and me just ending up in Georgia. I actually went to high school in South Carolina. So it was just kind of by chance that we happened to be there and then both end up back in Montana. What, how did you end up in Montana though? <laughs> um, for the mountains, actually, it, my husband and I were drawn to the mountains out here. We moved here from Salt Lake City. And um, as much as we loved being there, we were there for four years. We knew it wasn't going to be a forever home. So we were kind of like on the scope, looking out for new places with mountains and accessibility and nothing beats the last best place, big sky country. Oh. It's, it's really beautiful. The mountains are out here and my husband's a big ultra runner and he's also a triathlete and into gravel riding and mountain biking and all the things. Um, so it was just a really great place for that kind of stuff. Where did you guys meet? I, in Colorado. <laughs> Oh God! All of the I, years. Like, can we need a map? Like, we're I gonna give you. <laughs> you do. Here's my progression. I've moved from uh, bigger to progressively smaller and colder. I went from Georgia to Colorado oh. to Utah to Montana <laughs> in my adult life. So we met in Colorado. He was living in Steamboat Springs, and I was living in Denver. And we were uh, kind of set up actually on a camping and cycling trip because he's a cyclist and. Oh, really fun. And then the, the rest is history. Here we are now. History. Couple oh, nice. years later in, in Bozeman. Yeah, he's a physical therapist. So it really actually works hand in hand with <gasps> he's very helpful for you. <laughs> very helpful. I'll tell you what, though, he doesn't love to bring his work home. So people think it's like the best thing, but uh, I have to beg <laughs> to be helped if I need it. But he is helpful if I do need it, thankfully. That's <laughs> funny. Okay, so we actually have a connection though, because, uh, you started also as a triathlete, you're still a triathlete and, uh, we both are part of the same triathlon club in Atlanta. We just realized that you basically left right when I came in to the club, yeah. you were a coach yeah. left. And then I came in to start, and started coaching. Uh, yeah, it was really, it was a really fun group to be a part of the Atlanta triathlon club and, and being a run group leader and, my, having my first introduction to long course triathlon. And I'll tell you what, it's probably similar in gravel riding when you're just a newbie and you're, and you're actually, I can, I can attest to the fact that it's new. It's a, a newbie gravel riding thing too, because I'm now a newbie gravel rider, but you come in and it feels also large and overwhelming. And then you have a new community to, you know, help you bridge into the sport. And then all of a sudden those crazy big races feel like a normal occurrence, right? Like I joined ATC and not that long after I signed up for my first Ironman because it was just normal. So we were just talking about a gravel ride or gravel race next year. And I'm like, oh, I'd probably look into that now that I'm new into gravel riding. Why not? <laughs> and they're like, oh, you should suggest Sarah's race up in Montana. And she's yeah. like, this is like, okay. I'm like, why is it? okay. It's like, that's the only way to do it. Like why True. sit there and sit and question it? Just sign up. Do it. Yeah. Christy's for sure going to be there. Well, sure. at least I know someone. So that's, <laughs> there that's you good. go. And it's, and it's a drive away. And we can't say that very often in Montana. We can drive to a race. That's very <laughs> uncommon. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh I'm, I'm, I'm so get... stoked. I was trying to get to Montana this last summer and didn't happen. So when Jess announced that, I was like, that one, I'm going there. Yeah. So. If I don't move next year, then my, the, my backup plan, if I don't move is to spend like a month in Vermont, a month in Montana, and then a month out in 
Washington. I just want to glorious. I don't really know anybody in Montana except for you and Haley kind of, but I just want to spend time in Montana. It just, everything looks amazing. You do. You absolutely do. I would attest to that, but don't tell anybody. Okay. It's a secret. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so you guys keep saying that 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 protocol is not going to last very long it's that, not. Meg Fisher says that to me all the time she's like it's amazing but don't tell anybody I'm like that, that's not going to work <laughs> oh. well it will be interesting because it seems like people are trying to get out of cities and more toward smaller mm-hmm. towns now so you, yeah like, we have had a lot of people moving from New York and California a lot of people what's really interesting we'll see is if they make it to this winter that started <laughs> exceptionally early this year uh, it is currently 17 feels like 11 outside just finished my brick run. Uh, so we'll see if those Californians and New Yorkers make it through the Montana winter. It's just starting. <laughs> and it goes for a long time. It does, does six to eight months, but you know what? The summers are worth it. The summers are worth it. If you're willing to stick to it. I don't know it. if I'm buying that. Like I, like, Oh, I just, I hate the cold so much that I'm thinking But you, I mean, you have snow correct? We do. Yeah. It's not just cold. You get okay. the snow for it. Okay. I picked up skate skiing two seasons sure. ago, which is a great way to stay, to do a different activity in the, in the winter. I trail run through the snow. So it's, it's that's nice. how Haley trained basically for yeah. the Atlanta. Uh, she ran the Olympic marathon trials and mm-hmm. she did a ton of snow running like mm-hmm. and deep snow running like up to her knees, yeah. but she's and, not and a she great ran really fast. <laughs> she's a great, it's great right. strength building. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're not here to talk about Haley um, or necessarily or, or snow running. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> like, I don't know. I kind of think the snow running sounds kind of cool. <laughs> you can visit in the winter. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. how it is. Wait, but there you're you so short. You would just like go to your waist. Oh, hey. <laughs> it's be- yeah. Every picture I've been I noticing. I've actually never met. So I don't actually know how short she is. I'm short. But I'm- <laughs> She's telling you, and you're just supporting the, the claim. Yeah, she's just supporting it. My husband's nickname for me is Squats, which is, he thinks it's endearing. And I'm like, that is not an endearing nickname. It's just not. But anyway, that's, <laughs> we're totally digressing here. Yeah. Anyway, so Vanessa, uh, yeah. you do uh, mental endurance coaching. I do. I do. Yes. I'm, I'm interested yeah. in this. Oh my gosh. Where do we go from here? So in general, what it is, is basically being a coach for the brain. You know, a lot Mm -hmm. of us as athletes, endurance athletes understand the benefits of having a coach, especially for the physical training and having that accountability and someone that can guide them to progression and becoming better athletes. And most of us spend a lot of time and resources and effort into that physical training without giving any sort of guidance or, or plan for the mental side of things. And What I believe in is that you have to train your brain just like you train your body. And so that's what I do for athletes is I give them tools and skills to help them train their brain so that they are ready and more adaptive to anything that could come at them uh, on the race course or off the race course. So that's the really beautiful thing about it. And one of the reasons why I call it mental endurance, because it's not just sports specific. It's Mm -hmm. not just what happens when we're out on a bike or out running or on a race course. It's what happens off of the race course. And 2020 is a great example of that. A lot of us need a lot of mental endurance right now. Am I right? And that's, that's what I coach on is giving those tools and skills and, and, uh, figuring out what's holding them back mentally and creating strategies around that. That's in general what it is. How? So, 
I got it. But first, before, I, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of questions, but I need to know how an accountant became an yeah. mental <laughs> coach. That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. Let's see. My goodness. Well, I'm very, I have a very high attention to detail. And um, I think when it, when I was in college, I gravitated towards accounting because of the challenge of it. And it wasn't really math specific. It was kind of like learning a new language, like putting the puzzles together is what, how I would describe accounting. And when I left public accounting, cause I used to work for one of the big fours, I knew that I wanted a, to, I wanted to spend my time working with people. I love like working with people and connections and bringing people together and developing people. So I took the skills that I learned in terms of like high attention to detail and like basically the business side of things. And I melt, like blended that with people development and things like that. And I was in that world for a little bit and I progressively moved on to get, get a life coaching certification. So I'm a certified life coach and I've chosen to use those tools. Plus what I know about people, plus what I know about business to create my mental endurance practice. And of course I've been a triathlete for a long course triathlete for over a decade for 13 years. So it just, it became an easy transition to let me use what I'm so fascinated by and what I've used on myself with other triathletes because I am one and I can, I can speak to triathletes and endurance athletes as a whole. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, just like what you said is 2020 is, a, is a total case for mental endurance. Um, if there ever was one, what, like, what is a success story that you could share to make it a little bit more relatable? Um, yeah. You know, I would say, uh, a success story would be some, I have a, I have a client athlete who generally speaking on the race course is really like shaken up by things that are outside of her control, like, you know, weather specifically or mm. dropping nutrition. And that relates off the race course in terms of circumstances changing, you know, like the story of 2020, <laughs> all mm -hmm. of our circumstances changes and changed in a way that we didn't think was going to happen. And what we've worked through in the last several months is working with what's in her control and creating a more stable internal environment so that whatever changes on the outside doesn't rock her emotional stability. Mm. Right. Because what ends up happening is that we attribute our emotional stability and our emotional health to our outside circumstances to, you know, a pandemic, to an election, to the weather, to a, you know, we've got, we got snow a lot here sooner than we thought in Montana, you know, all these random um, occurrences. And we think those are what rock our emotional health, that make us feel um, sad or mad or disappointed or shame or you know, whatever negative emotion. And what we, what I work on with my athletes is creating a sense of control over how do we take control of our own emotions and not attribute that to the circumstances. And then it becomes, it allows us to move through the world in the way that we want to without being so easily rocked by the outside mm. circumstances. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you what, if this has been the year for it, I have always believed in these tools. I will have a life coach for the rest of my life, because mm -hmm. I believe in the, I believe in it, not only for years like this one that we're in, but also for future years where I, I want to be in control of my own emotional health. And I want to create more of what I want in the world. Um, and this year, I think more and more people are seeing, okay, this is actually useful because 
if I don't work on my emotional health, my mental endurance, my mental health, then I will constantly be, it's like a tug of war between what's happening in the world and how I'm feeling. And nobody wants to live like that when we have the ability to not live like that. Well, when you think about it too, like that being stable mentally would affect your physical health as well. Yeah. Because stress is stress, stress, mental stress shows up in your body the same way as physical stress. And it makes your workouts feel harder. Mm -hmm. It makes your recovery harder. All of those things are tied into all the emotions that you feel that you experience. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What are, uh, what are some of the reasons that somebody seeks you out? Like what's the external symptom that they go, Ooh, I need this coach. Like, right. It sounds like this is something we all really could use, but why does somebody come to you? Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is it's probably not what you think. The, the reason that people reach out to me and what I, for the most part, um, almost what I market, I guess that's a good word to talk about is creating, helping people create their best race performance. So for triathletes specifically, we talk about Kona a lot, the Ironman world championships, but it's, I don't just coach triathletes. So whatever their best race performance is that they're looking for is what people come to me for, because they know that they're so locked into the physical training, the physical endurance. They probably have a coach that gives them workouts and that they know that there's something holding them back. They get to a point where it's hard and they quit on themselves or they're not willing to fail or they have limiting beliefs or these things that they know are holding them back. And if they could just like get past that barrier, they know they could reach a higher potential in the sport that they're working in. That's what they come to me for. And then what they realize along the way is that they get so much more that lends to off the race course and beyond just the six months that we work together. And that's the beautiful part. And that's why I love this work so much. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Like when you have invested in a race at that caliber or even translate that into gravel, when you're going and you're doing like a 200 mile race, like a unbound, I almost said it, Christy, unbound, good. Good um, that you, you just put so much of yourself in it and you put so much pressure on yourself to perform that day. And so then you can really get choked up on the mental side of it. Right. Yeah. You can use that pressure to your advantage or you can use it against yourself. And if you know, that's a pattern that you're in, then that's what we work through to break that pattern. Let's use it to your advantage. Some examples of like, how, how does it work? What are some techniques that you use? Or if somebody came to you and was like, I'm stuck here, like, what do you do? Yeah, it's all individual and specific. So it's, it's really interesting. I have been doing a lot of work in learning more about sports psychology to blend the worlds, like my life coaching tools with sports psychology. And it's very similar in sports psychology. Like there's not a one size fits all, just like there's not a one size fits all training plan. So mm -hmm. it's hard to say like, this is specifically what would work, but even what I just mentioned prior, when we were talking about 2020, that in itself is a skill that everyone can use in their sport and off the race course is just being more aware and in touch with their emotions. Like that one, right, that right there is applicable to everyone, regardless of what they come to me for. But there really isn't a one size fits all. I make it very personalized and specific for each person that I'm working with. And everyone comes with different issues and things that hold them back. But pretty much all of us can stand to learn how to take more responsibility for our emotions. And, and I'm gonna give you a specific example of that. A lot of times we won't reach our potential because of a, a fear. 
call it a fear of failure, fear of disappointment, a fear of shame, a fear of falling off the bike, right? Like any sort of fear. And fear is just an emotion. It's a vibration in our body that shows up differently for each person, right? It might make you feel like tight and tense. It might shorten your breath. It might flush your face, but it's an, it's a vibration in your body. And when we limit how we show up in training or in racing because of fear, we're giving that power. We're giving our power to that fear, to that emotion, to that vibration in our body. And so the practice is learning how to show up to that fear and do the work anyway, whether it's showing up to a race course or showing up to a training session, you know, whatever the case may be and working, doing what we showed up to do, even with the fear, instead of letting Mm -hmm. it hold us back, which I think we can all relate to a situation or multiple in our lives where the fear just shut us down. Right. Yeah. I feel like I hear that a lot from women in the gravel scene and and it's okay. It's completely okay not to race. Right. But Mm -hmm. I think sometimes I encourage people to sign up for an event because I do think like that fear is actually what's holding people back. Not like the discomfort of racing or, you know, like, I think like you have to face something in yourself when you sign up for an event or you put something on the calendar and say, I'm going to face something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's definitely a sense of a fear and we, we can label our fear in all different ways, but yeah, that's part of the work just signing up. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like this massive event. It could be like your local, you know, 40 miler or or something. I I think, I mean, that to me was one of the things when we were having to pivot to so many virtual events, I'm hoping that that translates. I mean, that's a, that was kind of a safe way for people to do an event, to sign up for something. If they sign up for it virtually, you take a step in that direction. And then, you know, hopefully that translates to feeling more comfortable at start lines. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. Any practice of putting yourself out there, right. I think is something that lends to overcoming that fear or just, yeah. Putting yourself out there. Yeah. That's yeah. Super applicable to life as you're talking about it. I'm like, yeah, I can realizing how often I actually use all of the miles I've spent riding my gravel bike and applied it to work. It's pretty cool to think about it from that perspective, for sure. Speaking of taking a step into fear and doing something big, you did something big this year, Vanessa. Why don't you tell us about this new movement that you found and what that was like for you? Yeah, that was definitely something new and created a, some fear for me. And, you know, the, the premise of it, and I'll get into details, was a, a little bit of what I kind of spoke to before is being an example of what I want to see in the world and creating what I want to see in the world. And that's what the foundation of the Diversified Triathlon movement is. And I know this isn't a triathlon podcast, but it's relevant to the gravel scene as well and relevant to anyone that's wanting to create you know, a, mm-hmm. a movement or something that lends to what they want to see more of in the world. So the diversity triathlon movement was a, a, something I created to bring more people of color, BIPOC, so um, black indigenous or people of color into the sport of triathlon. And um, what it is, is a way to bridge triathlon coaches with BIPOC athletes. So I, and it's all uh, over virtual and coaches that I had connected with over my multiple years in triathlon. And I, I connected them with athletes, existing athletes. So they've been active in any other sport other than triathlon 
with an interest in triathlon. And I basically played matchmaker. I matched the athlete with the coach and the coach was all the coaches that were involved. Um, thankfully they gave, they offered three months of their coaching and support to these athletes to get them into the sport and have someone to answer those questions um, and, and be that support in terms of training and, and guidance. So that's really the premise of the DTM. It started in June. Um, it, well, I, I started it in June. It didn't, the training with the coaches and athletes didn't actually start until July. Uh, so we just wrapped up the first round here in October and some have kind of moved into November. So we're kind of in that phase of wrapping up um, the first round of it. And it was, a, it was a success. It was an overwhelming success. I'm so proud of what it created and the athletes that made it all the way through and have made their way into the sport of triathlon that wouldn't have otherwise. That's amazing. And it seems like such an easy thing to do, you know? Yeah. Well, I I mean, it's, it's not, but you know, it's, it's not, but it is like, it's, it was simple, but it wasn't easy necessarily. And that's really could be representative of a lot of other things that we could talk about in life. (laughs) And (laughs) And it just, I, I'm a one woman show, but I didn't want to have like a meeting about a meeting about a meeting about a meeting. I just like, I just wanted to get into action because it happened right after George Floyd's murder. And you know, when the spotlight on racial justice occurred, cause it was always happening, but we had this major spotlight in June. And I just wanted to be an example of what's possible and what could be created if you're just willing to put in some investment, time, money, resources. And that's what ended up happening. And I originally set a goal of having 30 athletes included and I quickly had to increase my capacity and it ended up being 50 athletes and 25 coaches in, in the first round of DTM. And it's not a one and done. So the first, the next round is not going to be launched until early 2021. Hopefully there will be races on the schedule. Cause that was definitely one thing that was missing from this year was being able to either do a, a team race maybe, but honestly, we're all spread across the country and worldwide actually. So team race might not have been possible, but at least have a, a a weekend of racing where everyone in, in, on the DTM team could find a race close by to them and still have what their co- their coaching their three months coaching was leading up to. Oh, cool. um, so hopefully that'll be able to happen in the future. They a lot fifteen of them did a virtual duathlon, which is exciting. And just like what you're saying with the gravel ride is having something virtual that got them into the race atmosphere without mm-hmm. necessarily being, you know overwhelmed or, or the into the logistics of actually racing. They got to do it on their own timetable. No one was watching them and, and they got to use their training for something, but looking forward to more um, rounds in the future. When do you launch the 2021 date? It hasn't been decided yet. Um, I'm hoping to just kind of see what happens into December and early January, because like I said, I would love to have something at the end that we can all look forward to. But in the meantime, what I'm working on doing is creating a community, an online community um, to bring this first round of, of athletes and coaches together. And then we just keep on adding. So it becomes this community that the athletes are a part of and they are able to coordinate and, and um, feel connected to the other athletes. We did Zoom workshops and calls so we could see each other, but an ongoing community is what I'm really passionate about creating now so that as I add more rounds, they really feel like they're part of something bigger. Well, keeping that support network in place is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I love this, uh, for so many reasons, but I'm curious, like, what was it about 
like just the simplicity, like you said, it wasn't easy, but it was like a simple idea of coaches and athletes. Like there's so many ways you could have gone, but, but what was yeah. it? You know, I, there are a lot of barriers to sport when it comes to any white dominated sport, whether we're talking triathlon, gravel riding, anything, anything of that nature. And I looked, I turned the camera on myself and thought, okay, what do I have the resources for? What am I good at? I've been in the sport for over a decade. I've been a part of five triathlon teams. I can find coaches. And what I know is the mentorship of having someone to talk to, having someone to ask those questions that seem silly and not having to go to Google and get 27,000 different answers. I just thought that was somewhere to start. And it could at least work on one barrier to sport, because if we try to approach all the barriers, then we're mm-hmm. not going to get anywhere. So I kept it simple. And the one barrier I wanted to approach was knowledge and support. And then along the lines, thankfully I've had companies wanting to support the athletes. So there actually ended up being a financial piece that was added that helped alleviate some of the financial burden for the athletes. But I chose the knowledge and support route because I had the resource resources for that. And I knew I could do it quickly. And I was willing to just do whatever it took to get that ball rolling. And um, one of the one of the companies that's in support is, is Scratch Labs and Alan Lynn, the founder of Scratch Labs, he is he he went through the cycling industry as like one of the only minorities as an Asian. And he was so helpful in reminding me that even though it feels like a small drop in the bucket, you know, only 30, 50 athletes, you have to be the drop. And that's what I keep reminding myself is as this, and this is for anyone that's starting, you know, some sort of grassroots movement in their own local communities is that we have to be willing to continue to do the work and be the drop and let those drops fill up the bucket if we are really committed to seeing a change in the future. But the real premise behind the the coaching and the athletes was the fact that I knew I could. And it was something that really wouldn't, wouldn't require too many resources or strings or, you know, I, it just required me sending some emails and being willing to be the face of it and continue mm-hmm. it going forward and, you know, coordinate people. And I... I said the whole time I want it to be simple and I'm, I have to like release my perfectionist tendencies. <laughs> it can't be perfect because I've never done this before and I'm probably going to get things wrong. And I'll tell you, I've gotten some things wrong. I've learned for the next round. It has not been perfect, but that's okay because I wouldn't know what to fix if I hadn't tried the first time. <laughs> that's true. Totally. I love it. Yeah, I do too. And I think I've had like, probably a handful of women reach out to me when we've had, you know, like we had Meg Fisher on and she talked about, uh, you know, racing with all the limb and we've had uh, mm-hmm. different people on and they've reached out and like, you should start this. And I'm like, I don't have capacity to start anything else. And you sound really passionate about it. So how can I support you? And I think, you know, like people make it really complicated in their mind. Exactly. <laughs> just like, what's the simplest thing you can do? Like girls gone gravel started with an Instagram account because I said, women aren't being featured in this. And I got mad because of something a bike shop owner said to me, Mm -hmm. you know, and then things can evolve and grow. Uh, so I love that. And I would encourage anybody that's kind of getting that, like, maybe I should do something in my community. Yeah. Little like pattern in their heart (laughs) to go. Yeah. What can I say? It's so true. We, we overthink things. We can keep it simple. It doesn't have to be the biggest, best version of it. It can just be like, just whatever, whatever is formulating in your mind, just start there. <laughs> and then from there you can build on it. 
that that's exactly true. Keep it simple and and whatever is whatever's pulling on your heartstrings, it, it's worth doing. Absolutely, it's worth doing. Do you think a diversity in gravel is pulling on your heartstrings? Maybe <laughs> Kansas at the end uh, of it. I would say I would say not at this particular moment, but I wouldn't put it past me because <laughs> I don't know how to do anything like half-ass. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on this podcast, but yeah. uh, I do everything like full on, full send. And if I'm getting into gravel, which I am, uh, I wouldn't put it past me. But at this moment, no. <laughs> Just let me know. <laughs> I got I some will. resources. I mean, I, and I do live in a particularly undiverse area. Yeah, it's so do I. Diverse, non-diverse is a better word for that. Um, so I completely understand. When I talked about moving from bigger to smaller, I also moved to less diverse. Mm-hmm. Let's track that. Atlanta, well, from Colorado, Atlanta, Utah to Montana. So wow, that is a, that, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. Yeah. <laughs> Atlanta yeah. to Bozeman. That's, that's exactly. a very different diversity ratio there for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell us about getting into gravel. What, what got you there? Yeah. You know, I think I just jumped on the, on the, on the train that all the triathletes were doing. And I, I actually can't attest to this, but what I've heard is what Bozeman lacks in road riding. We make up in both in a uh, gravel riding. So I don't know that for sure yet because I just got my bike at the end of September and, it snowed. and then, and then it snowed. So I've only been out like three times because I ride a lot indoors And, uh, so I'm really looking forward to this next shoulder season. We also, like we mentioned, have a long winter. So when we, you know, get to that shoulder season, when the snow starts to melt, but the roads haven't been cleared, I'm really looking forward to getting out on my grapple bike because I don't want to bring my TT bike out there and get dings in it. Uh, but the premise was just having another option to get out, explore. I actually did, did a mountain bike ride for the first time with my husband on July 4th of this year. And I remember I, I rented a bike and we were out on a, it was actually a gravel road that we rode and then we ditched the bikes and we did a trail run up to a peak and then ran back down and then rode back down. So I could have done it on the gravel bike, but I did it on a mountain bike. And I remember saying out loud because the view was just stunning. We were back mm-hmm. in the mountains and it was like this clear view of the mountains and the trees. And I thought, I said out loud, I wouldn't have this view if I was on the road right now, I would have missed this if I was on the road, because my original plan was to ride a hundred miles that day. And it just, I just switched it up, do something different. And that in itself was enough. I was like, all right, what views am I missing? What views am I missing? I need to go explore, get off road. And I'll tell you what, it's been the three rides, three or four rides that I've done. It's definitely a different world than road riding and, and being on my TT bike. It reminds me of when I switch from road ride, road running to trail running a bunch more. I when I went to Utah, when I moved to Utah, I, it was a hard transition because being a primarily road athlete, you're so used to going at a certain speed mm-hmm. or running faster, or riding, riding faster. And, um, I will say that I'm still working on that. I'm still working on releasing that attachment to certain metrics on my gravel bike. Uh, and, and I bet a lot of listeners can attest to that as well. And, but it's, it's a fun challenge because what I know from my experience going from road running to trail running is that I'm a significantly stronger runner now because I spend so much time on mountains and trails and doing that deep strength training. And I'm looking forward to also having that, that happen in gravel riding to my TT bike, right? Like I'm going to get, I'm going to be going to become a stronger cyclist if I'm willing to release that attachment to going fast and, and switch it up with the terrain that I'm riding instead. 
You can put arrow bars on a gravel bike. <laughs> I could. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> You're like, I'm trying to get off the arrow bar. <laughs> yeah. That, that sitting up is really nice. It's very comfy. <laughs> very comfy. Which is funny because a lot of times the reason that people do put arrow bars on a gravel bike is to get in a different posture. Yeah, it's for comfort. Super long mm. rides. That's how they got, that's how arrow bars got on gravel bikes was that having that alternate position when you're doing those long distances. And then of course, well, when you're riding in Kansas, a lot of times there's a super, super strong headwind. So if you're out there by yourself, it's, mm. you know, it helps to kind of get down in a different position a little bit from the wind, but but really they didn't come in a place of speed. They've, they're used for that obviously, but anyway. Oh, well. yeah. My, my triathlete self, my triceps are not used to holding me up. So <laughs> I rely on my arrow bars a lot. And that has been <laughs> something I noticed even in my four rides on my gravel bike before the snow is like, I'm just not used to holding myself up. <laughs> my triceps are underworked. <laughs> You're the lazy gravel rider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to lay down on my bike. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. That's me. You're going to have like the gravel ride strength training program over the winter. Yep. I should. If Haley's listening, I need that. Full <laughs> triceps. That's awesome. Vanessa triceps workout. Well, um, I love all of this, Vanessa. Uh, it's been so fun to chat with you. And uh, I've seen you obviously in all the circles around Live Feisty and even just some Atlanta Tri Club things earlier this summer, but uh, where can people find you if they want to know more about mental endurance coaching? Because I'm sure you can coach gravel cyclists too, correct? I absolutely can. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, um, Vanessa Faye Forrester, and then I have a website, www.vanessafayforrester.com. Everything is just my name. <laughs> and uh, on the Live Feisty website as well, I've got um, the podcast over there. I do a weekly podcast called Train Your Mind, and it gives tips on mental endurance as well. Yeah. That's a Monday. It's on the iron women. Yes. Platform, yeah, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. The iron women platform on Mondays and they're shorter episodes. Like yeah. 15, mini episodes, 15, 15 20 minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Less than 20, usually about 15, just a little dose. And I try to make it really actionable and takeaways that people can use and just like put into their practice immediately. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that is great. So we will link all that in the show notes and be sure to go find Vanessa, get some life coaching, mental endurance coaching, all the things. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you. The Girls Gone Gravel podcast is a production of Live Feisty Media. Subscribe, like, and comment on your listening platform. Our producer is Taylor Mayhem Rudolph. You can follow us on all of the socials at Girls Gone Gravel or visit our website at girlsgonegravel.com.